We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. If you have your Bibles, follow along on the screen. Starting with verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient time. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant. The oath that we swore to our the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all of our days. Let's go, to Lord, in prayer. Nearly Father, we just thank you and praise you for the promise that we have through the birth of your Son, uh, that you have given us hope beyond measure that one day we will have a new heart and new lives and all things will be made right because of him. We pray that you just help us during this time to think about that and to soak it into our hearts and to really think about the reason we celebrate the birth of Christ and what it means for all of us in our lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I had said before, uh, Pastor Bill has pretty much over the past few weeks talked about all the events surrounding Christmas. He's went through pretty well the whole story. And so after hearing the Christmas story over the past few weeks, uh, I'd like to focus on the bigger picture uh, that it means for the world. You know, if we end the season with only the image of a baby being born in a manger, then we might miss the joy of what his birth means for our lives, that we have a future that's secure because of him. And I think far too often, we don't think about what Jesus' birth means around this time. And maybe some of us do in here, but there's a lot of times where that hasn't crossed my mind, and just focusing on the nativity. But Jesus, as king, will one day restore humanity back to God's original design. There will be perfect peace with a perfect God, which people will be perfectly obedient to in love and obeying his commandments, where we love each other and we love him. And so because of the redemption and reconciliation that was provided through a baby born in a manger over 2,000 years ago, who grew up and laid down his life for us on a cross so that we can be redeemed. And that's what Christmas points us to. Uh, one day he will return. And so Jesus' birth points us to the fact that God has not forgotten his promises that he has made towards mankind since the fall of mankind. Through his prophets, God has told us exactly what his plan would be through the Messiah. And so in this prophecy, we have Zechariah, which Zechariah in this case is uh, John the Baptist's father, um, and he's making this prophecy. And uh, it's not the same Zechariah that's in the Old Testament. There's a prophet back there, too, that uh, it's a book on him. It's a really good one. And we'll talk a little bit about some of his prophecies a little later and how it kind of ties into Zechariah of the New Testament's prophecies. I'll try to keep that as straight as I can. It gets kind of confusing. Uh, but in this prophecy, Zechariah sums up what the prophets have been saying all along. 
that Jesus is our salvation. And so I've titled this sermon, God Remembers, for more than one reason. First of all, God never forgets the promises that he's made to us. No matter how hopeless things may seem in this world, he never forgets his promises. The God who got us through yesterday is the same God that we can trust to get us through today and the same God we can trust to get us through tomorrow and all the way until the end of our lives or until Christ returns. And so those of us who belong to him, he will not abandon or forsake us because he is a God of his promises He is with us till the end. And so another reason that I've titled this sermon, God Remembers, is because there was a long gap between the last book of the Old Testament, which was Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. And there was a period that became known to us as the 400 years of silence, uh, where God did not speak to his people. This was a period that we also call the intertestamental period. It's what happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And and during this time, we have no record of God speaking to his people. Absolutely none as far as we're concerned. Um, And so there's still, even though we don't see God speaking to his people, there's still a lot going on. There's a lot of events that are going on, but God is not speaking through his prophets. And so if you were a Jew during this period of time, Uh, 400-year span, uh, things would have seemed pretty hopeless. You have no direction from God. There's a great Roman empire who's taken your land, stolen your independence from you. And so this is after hundreds of years of other empires coming in and controlling everything in Israel. Israel had very limited independence during these 400 years. And it didn't last very long when they did. It was under the, what was called the Maccabean Revolt, which was a very short period of time where Israel had their independence. Um, but it didn't last very long. And so Rome seemingly squashed any hope of God saving them in their eyes. And so that would be, seem to us maybe like a pretty good reason to give up on God. You know, maybe even doubt his existence. I know there's times in my life where maybe I have gone through some things that's caused me to doubt God. And it wasn't 400 years that I went through it. Um, But it still caused me to doubt God. Uh, And so they would have doubted and asked the question, perhaps, where is this Messiah that God has promised us? You know, it's been 400 years. We're enslaved, not enslaved, but we're under the reign of the Roman Empire. And we see no Messiah. There's no hope here. And so the great God that they would have heard from about their ancestors, from their ancestors, uh, about this God would have seemed to abandon them. And so has God forgotten me? And maybe that's the question some of us ask ourselves during our darkest times in our lives. And yet, even though Gaul would seem lost, God has not forgotten Israel. God remembered his people, and he remembers us. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. That song I heard the bells on Christmas Day. We see a similar period of time in the Old Testament with God's people, where it seemed that they could have given up on God. That's the 400 years that they were enslaved to Egypt. So another period of 400 years that came, uh, right as the Exodus was about to happen at the end of that. And that's in Exodus 2, verse 24. This is what uh, we hear about God at that end of that, towards the end of that period, right before he leads his people out of Israel. And it says, Exodus 2, 24, a God heard their groanings and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. 
And so long before Rome, Israel was enslaved to Egypt. And after 400 years of being enslaved to Egypt, God remembered them. And it wasn't as if God forgot the promise at some point in there. And then he's like, oh yeah, what about that uh, promise that I made? It's that even after 400 years had been by, God still remembered his people and his covenant that he made. So why did he allow 400 years to go by? Ultimately, I don't know. I don't, because I, I don't understand the mind of God in that. I mean, I would question and doubt him in those situations. Like, why 400 years? But I think sometimes it takes the longest trials to build our endurance and our perseverance in life as we go through those. Um, sometimes it takes a little longer than we would want to. But if you look at everything that the Jews have endured over centuries, all the empires, the Holocaust, and, and even as of today, what we see going on in Israel, they're still here. And they're like one of the smallest nations in the world. Like they're no bigger than New Jersey, practically. But they're still here. They've learned to trust God through all of that. They've not given up. And so through Zechariah, of, uh, of this passage, uh, John the Baptist's father, according to Luke, once again, God spoke after 400 years of silence through Zechariah, a man whose name means God remembers. Just like the 400 years of Israel enslaved Egypt, after 400 years of God not speaking to Israel through this Roman Empire, God still remembers his promise. And so if you look through most of the Old Testament names of the prophets and kings, they often tell us something about God being involved. God often uses the names of his people to tell us something about him being involved because he's sovereign, he's in control, he's involved in all things. And so even in the messages that are hidden within the names and the kings of the prophets of the Bible, God shows us that he's involved in our lives. In this particular case, God is telling us through the name of Zechariah, I have not forgotten my promise. I have not forgotten my promise to my people, and I have not forgotten my promise to the world. I am a God who means what I say. It may not be in your timing or my timing, but we can trust God to follow through even after 400 years of silence. In 2,000 plus years, we have not seen Jesus in the flesh with our eyes. But as we see signs of certain prophecies around us and God moving in the hearts of mankind around us, we know that God has not forgotten us. He is still alive. He is still moving. And so this is what gives us hope. When we live our lives based on God's promises instead of based on our feelings. Because right? we feel like God's not with us. We feel like he's not leading us and guiding us and helping us. And if we live our life based on our feelings, life gets chaotic. We lose hope. Feelings are real, but not necessarily reality. God's promises are reality, and they need to be our reality. That doesn't make us feel better all the time, but we need to live based on his promises. So Jesus being born is proof that God's promises are real, that we can trust his faithfulness. We know that God loves us because the story of Christmas that he comes and he gets involved in our world and he's here for us. And he's a God that remembers us. 
And so we're going to get into a little bit of prophecy today, not a whole lot, but uh, just enough to go along with what Zechariah is talking about. Uh, because what Zechariah tells us describes what the prophets have said and how it's currently being unfolded and things that are yet to come. And so we have to touch up on a little bit of prophecy to remember uh, what God has promised us. Um, we have to be careful when it comes to prophecy. We don't know everything when it comes to prophecy. And so um, I think that it needs to be talked about, though. Um, but prophecy is important because I need to be reminded that Jesus is coming back so that I can have joy, but also so that I can be reminded to be diligent when it comes to living for Christ. And so the point of this is that Jesus' birth and prophecy reminds us that God is outside of time and space. He knows all, and in time his master plan will unfold. It cannot be thwarted no matter how many years go by. And that is the reminder that any and every prophecy gives us, that God is faithful to come through with what he promises to us. And so we're going to start in verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Uh, so Zechariah's prophecy is the first recorded prophecy in over 400 years. And I really didn't think about that until recently. Um, but this is the beginning of what God is going to do in this new era. And in Isaiah 43, 19, it says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And so what he's saying now is it's already been spoken over 400 years ago through various prophets. And Zechariah is declaring to us by the authority of the Holy Spirit that Jesus being born means that God's plans have begun to unfold in a tangible form. And so what he, is he about, what he is about to say is something that can only be revealed to us if God directly speaks through him and shows him this and gives him understanding. So Zechariah speaks in verse 68, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has visited and provided redemption for his people. He is saying that God is here. He is going to walk among us and walk among his people. He is a God who is not a remote God who puts us down on this earth and leaves us to live and die without any hope. He has always been our hope. He is a God who desires to be with us. He loves, is so great for us that he is not above humbling himself and being born in a filthy stable and placed in a feeding trough. That is the ultimate sign of humility for all of us. Humility is on display as Jesus comes into this world and walks among filthy sinners who reject him. Not only does he want to be around filthy sinners who reject him, but he wants to redeem filthy sinners who have rejected him. He wants to save us from sin and not just the consequences of sin, consequences of sin being death. He wants to save us from slavery to sin. That when we think that sin is everything that can satisfy us, and that's the only thing that can satisfy us, he wants to set us free from that because ultimately sin cannot satisfy us. Ultimately, only God in our lives can satisfy our souls. He visits us with the intention of saving us, seeing our dirt and our shame, seeing the things that we hide from each other, because if you knew the real me and I knew the real you, we would feel great shame and rejection from each other. Guaranteed. We would feel vulnerable. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. 
But Jesus sees all of that and does not hide his face from us. This is a very dark period when Jesus was born. Because of the Roman Empire, the world was gathered as one. It was like a a cesspool of sin and unfaithfulness. False gods were everywhere. Truth was relative, much like we see in our society. Um, There were only a few who were faithful to God. And yet God, who is perfectly righteous, visited us in our sin and in our filth. You know, we look at the birth of Christ and the filthy circumstances, and we realize that Jesus, born in a filthy stable, was only the beginning of Jesus living in a filthy, sin-filled world, full of violence and arrogance and perversion and hatred and death. A world that Jesus came to live in and to redeem. And Jesus has visited us, with him came redemption. And one day he is coming back for his redeemed. Why? Because God remembers his promises to those who are his. No matter how filthy you may be in your life, Jesus came for you. You are not beyond the love and redemption that God has offered you through Christ. I'm going to read 69 through 71. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of those who hate us. And so Jesus, uh, this here is kind of talking about in verse 67, the house of David. We're talking about the Davidic covenant that happens in the Old Testament, that David would always have somebody on the throne Uh, One day, uh, he would have a descendant that would rule forever. And so Jesus, as we read in Matthew 1 and in Luke 3, is the descendant of David. It shows us the line that goes back uh, to David as uh, as one of his ancestors. It's, It's the direct descendant of David. And so Jesus is the one who's going to reign on the throne forever. Salvation comes from him, not the salvation that the Jews were looking for, but from sin and death. And so... One day, those uh, who are of Israel, um, they were looking for their enemies to be defeated by this great warrior of a Messiah they were expecting. Uh, One day, they won't have any enemies anymore. They won't have the enemies that they've struggled with for thousands of years. Um, From their beginning as a nation, empire after empire, even to this day, they're fighting a war to save their lives. It just doesn't seem to end for them. Uh, Israel has always had enemies. And until Christ returns, they will always have enemies. That's what the Bible shows us, what this prophecy shows us. But the prophets give us the consistent message that God will provide a Savior to give, to destroy Israel's enemies and redeem many people. So that's the message of the Bible. The Bible is not a book that shows us how to fix all of our problems and give us our best life now. Although there are benefits to reading the Bible and applying things to our lives, the main goal of the Bible is to reveal God's plan of salvation and to redeem those who come to him by faith through Christ. And so that is the consistent message that the prophets gave. And that is what Zechariah is saying in verse 70 when he said, just as the prophets by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient time, just as he spoke through his prophets. That's what God's been saying all along. 
One day, all those who have been redeemed will be a part of God's new creation, where there will be no more injustice. But Israel only had their minds on physical land and momentary freedoms. And yet they have always had enemies, and they have always been in need of salvation. Enemies exist because sin and rebellion exist. When people sin against God and rebel against him, they're God's enemies. And and so Israel is God's people, and he becomes enemies of Israel. 72 through 75. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he has swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And so the question would be, how do you establish a place where there is no more enemies? Well, you'd have to destroy the root of what has caused wicked men to rise up against God and his people, and that root is sin. If sinful hearts no longer exist, then God's enemies are no longer present because that's what causes us to go against God. Therefore, any sort of salvation that's given us cannot just be the destruction of nations, but has to be the destruction of sin. Along with that, the transformation of hearts. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to destroy sin and transform hearts. But Israel's main concern was not necessarily sin. They were focused on the here and now. The physical land and the physical enemies getting Rome out of there. That's why they were kind of not really for Jesus being the Messiah, because it wasn't what they were expected. And so Rome, Rome was not Israel's greatest enemy. Sin was, because sin is what made them enemies of God. And so you wipe out Rome, and another enemy, such as Hamas, steps in. Why? Because sin still exists. And so evil exists. And that is ultimately what Jesus came to destroy. Until Christ makes all things new, the way of the wicked perishes, this world will not be good. You cannot legislate God, you cannot legislate goodness into people's hearts. No amount of laws passed can do that. Hearts have to be transformed. And so ultimately we waste our time trying to make this world a great place where everything runs smoothly because only Jesus will be able to do that when he returns. We're just called to be a light as Christians. We're called to tell people about Christ so that they can experience that. But Christ has called us to live for something better than the well-being of our world. And so we we can't put our hope in this world. It won't last. But one day when God completely destroys sin then we can have peace. Knowing that this life can no longer be defiled, the lives of everybody and everybody around can no longer be defiled. And so Zechariah is talking as if it kind of already happened. But we can look around in the world and we can look around over Israel today and we can see that it hasn't already happened. We know that they still have enemies. Israel is currently surrounded by enemies all over the world. But God remembers his promises. And he has revealed them to us through his prophets. And so the Old Testament prophets talk about a savior who would destroy Israel's enemies, take away the sins of his people, transform their hearts, and reign over all the earth. And Zechariah of the Old Testament, the Old Testament of Zechariah now, in chapters 12 through 14 talks about all nations rising up against Israel. The shepherd that they rejected by Israel, that Israel rejected um, will defeat Israel's enemies, taking reign over, as king over the whole earth. This hasn't happened yet. It's, uh, 
We're waiting for this to happen. But this is what Zechariah in the Old Testament has written. Uh, It will happen, though. We see the whole world today shifting in how we see Israel and treat Israel. And I'm not saying that what's going on right now in the world is the end. I have no authority to say that this for sure is the end. But I think it's crazy in a day where there's technology that shows the evidence that Israel is the enemy. And then you see the whole world starting to hate Israel. At least many all over the world. Almost as if it's just destined to happen no matter what. It doesn't mean that it's the end. Israel has always had enemies. Israel had a lot of enemies throughout the existence. And, but it's crazy how the world has begun to hate them like they have. And so this is what's being talked about in Zechariah's prophecy that Israel would have all these enemies that would rise up against them. In 71, verse 71, it said, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. It's talking about the future. And and that's what we have because Jesus is here. In 74, it says, having been rescued from the hands of our enemies would serve him without fear. They can say that that's going to happen because Jesus has come into this world. Israel has never been able to peacefully serve God without fear. They have always had to look over their shoulder that something is going to be there. Some enemy is going to be there to destroy them. And uh, that has not ended even to this day. But one day, because of God's perfect plan, Israel will have no more enemies. Because Jesus will judge the whole world and destroy evil. There will be no more sin-filled people that rise up against God. And for the sake of suffering, I hope that the sake of the suffering that Israel is dealing with, I hope that that happens for them soon. But the prophets talk about a Messiah who, after the enemies of Israel that rise up against them are destroyed... Um, Daniel 7, verse 13 through 14, it talks about a Messiah that would reign over the world. In my vision, in the night, I, commend, I continued to watch, and I saw one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given dominion, glory, and kingship that people every, of every nation and every language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." So when we're talking about a baby in a manger that was born over 2,000 years ago, we're not just talking about a baby. We're talking about a king whose dominion and glory will never be destroyed. His kingdom is everlasting. So what does that look like? As we remember the birth of Christ and why it applies to our lives and why it matters for the whole world. Well, Isaiah 2, verse 4 says... He shall judge between the nations. When Jesus returns, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall, be, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Neither shall they learn war anymore. And that sounds crazy to us because all we've ever seen in this world is war. We look around and we see chaos and hatred and suffering and we think that that's all that's ever going to be. That's the reality that we see. That's reality to us. But it's not God's reality. Um, It's not God's destiny for the world. This life that we live isn't it. 
Because God remembers his promises. And so through Jesus, our Prince of Peace, our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, all things will be made new. Everything will be set right. So the question is, but how? Well, verse 75 of this prophecy that Zechariah gives us, New Testament Zechariah, it says, in holiness and righteousness in his presence all of our days. And so in holiness and righteousness is how we will be, those of us who have put our faith in Christ. Everyone present in God's new creation will have a new heart. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that because my heart's not perfect. And there's a lot of things that need fixed in it. Uh, But Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24 through 28. I will take from you the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your unrighteousness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put into you and I will remove your heart of stone and your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Move your heart from, yes. Move your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I have given you, your fathers, and you shall be my people and I will be your God. So the hope that we have as God's children is that one day we will have peace because Jesus has defeated sin. And those of us who belong to him, our hearts will be, our hearts right now are being transformed daily as we follow Jesus. Uh, But one day they will be transformed uh, perfectly and we will be made whole. We'll be 100% free from sin. And that's what brings us peace. And as I tell you in my life right now, when, when things are the greatest storms going on in my life, it's because of the sin in my life. Maybe it's because of my pride that keeps me from being the person that God has called me to be. And I can be a jerk to people because of sin. Uh, it's the sin in our world that causes peace to not be present. The reason that peace does not exist is because of sin. Uh, How we treat each other. But this is God's promise, a God who remembers. And so when we find ourselves anxious and in fear, hopeless and in despair, we need to be reminded that this life isn't it. Sometimes we get so worked up with the things going wrong in our lives and in our country and in the world that we forget that this isn't it. And I'm thinking about how we have a holiday celebrating Jesus' birth and we have one celebrating his resurrection, but we really never have something that's anticipating his return. But the events of Christmas has given us a sign that God does not forget. The events of Easter assures us of the forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life. But in this crazy world where we live, where everything is broken and sin is prevalent, and pain and suffering exists, we need to be reminded that Jesus is coming back. And he's coming to make all things new and to reign over all things. And so I know this isn't a traditional Christmas sermon. It's very different. <laughs> um, I think that uh, Zechariah was thinking about this right at the first Christmas. And I think he knew why it really mattered, why the birth of Christ really mattered. Uh, Jesus being born in a manger over 2,000 years ago is just to point us to the God and to let us know that he has remembered what he's done for us. And so, as we think about that, we really meditate. And I'm not just saying, like, think about 
the facts, but really meditate on what Christ's birth means for our lives, that we had a king who came into this world, who lived a perfect life and went to the cross and died in our place because it's not because of me and how good I am that I'm made right with God. It's because of Christ's righteousness that he gives me because I put my faith in him. When God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my filth. He doesn't see everything I've done wrong. Even though there is sin, there is filth there uh, in the sense of I'm not perfect. But he doesn't look at me and see all of that. He looks at me and he sees the righteousness of Christ because that is exactly what Christ came to do, to redeem those who come to him through faith and and to make our hearts new and to make us reconciled to God. And, And that's what the birth of Christ is a part of. And so he died on that cross so that we can be forgiven and raised from the dead so that we can have eternal life. And one day, the ultimate promise is that it doesn't just end there, but he's coming back, not just from a baby in a manger, but from a king who is coming back to reign over all the earth and set all things right and make everything new. And that is what Christmas really points us to. And so let's think about that this year as we celebrate Christmas. Um, We're going to do a moment of quiet prayer some music going and feel free to come to the front or stay where you're at and just maybe reflect in your heart what we've thought about here and uh, maybe just if there's anything in your heart in your life today that maybe stands between you and God um, give that to him this morning and um, just through a few moments of silent prayer and then I'll pray and we'll close